Well, hi, everyone again. My name is... guess they don't want me to talk. There you go, Michelle. Hey, we are not perfect, but we're passionate, all right? Everyone, I say hi to you online. So glad you're joining us today. My name's Tony. If you have not seen or heard of me before, I am the lead pastor here at Gateway. Today is week six of a six-week series that we've been doing on the Unstoppable Church. We've just kind of been blowing through. No, we haven't been blowing through. But, you know, it would take me weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to preach on the whole book of Acts. So we just kind of took some big chunks and gave you a 50,000-foot view of the book of Acts. Uh, We've been walking through. Today we're going to be at the end of Acts in chapter 28. Uh, But we've been talking about how the kingdom of God, even in the most difficult time, even in the most uncertain time, even in the most unsure time, insecure time, in all of history, a lot of forces have come against the church. But it has been unstoppable. You just cannot stop it. You can try. Governments try. Governments make it illegal. Governments try to... Uh, thwart the, the church and, and religion, and they've tried this, but the human heart with the Spirit of God in it is unstoppable. It just spreads like wildfire when God is leading and blessing and people are obeying. It's unstoppable. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about this moment in time in the church right after the Pentecost where the church just stalled. You remember Jesus at the beginning says, I'm going to send you a gift, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to make you a witness in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, it exploded on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and thousands of people were coming to Jesus. They were joining churches. Groups were breaking out into homes. Uh, Teaching was happening, and people were just expanding. It says the Lord was adding to their number daily. The church was growing and exploding in Jerusalem. And then we talked about a moment in the church's history where Stephen, which was one of the seven elders who were picked to care for the the church, the widows and the poor, and the the parts of the church so that the disciples, the apostles, could preach the word and free them up. We, We talked about Stephen getting stoned to death. He became the first martyr. And we talked about how you can look at that experience and say, oh, that's just awful. And it was. But God always has a way to taking something awful covid and turning it into something that's useful for his kingdom luke gives us this word that paints a picture of what the persecution meant luke says that the persecution broke out and the people of god were dispersed out from jerusalem And you say, well, they're running for their lives. How is that good? Because Luke uses a word in the Greek that has this powerful meaning of, it's as though a farmer reached into his bag and grabbed a handful of seed in his fertile field and he just spread the seed. And it gives you this idea that Luke sees this dispersion as a good thing. 
P.S. People are running for their lives. Yes, persecution breaks out, but the mission and the word and the gospel, which is more important than anything in Luke's mind, and in, I'll be honest, in Jesus' mind, gets out. And it says they go into Judea and Samaria. So we got Jerusalem covered. We got Judea and Samaria covered, right? But Jesus ain't done. It's got to get to the whole world. God intended for the good news of Jesus to go into all the world. So something happens. You remember this guy named Saul? The guy who was standing there when Peter or when, when Stephen was stoned to death? He comes onto the scene, and at the beginning, around chapter 6 and 7, Saul of Tarsus becomes a character of the book of Acts. And he begins to investigate. And he's painted as this terrible guy who's going around. He's a Pharisee. He's a Jewish religious leader. And he hates the Jesus movement so much that he's going around. He's investigating. He's arresting people. He's prosecuting people. Uh, He's even approving of their killing, like Stephen. Paul is on a war path to stop the movement of Jesus. To stop this Christian thing. To stop this Jesus thing. God's trying to expand the kingdom and Paul's trying to kill it. But in Paul's fairness, in his mind and in his heart, he believed he was doing God's work. Acts chapter 9. This is a little different sermon today. Usually I start out with some illustration or life thing, but I want to walk you through the story. The book of Acts is historical narrative genre. When you say historical genre, what does that mean? It's a story. It's a historical story. And Luke just wants us to see how the church started and how it progressed and these characters. And in Acts chapter 9, Paul, who is Saul at this point, Saul has a life-changing transformation. The guy who's investigating, hunting down, persecuting, arresting, killing Christians. He has this life-transformational moment on a road to Damascus. You say, well, what was he doing on a road to Damascus? He was going with papers in hand to go through homes and arrest Christians. Paul's trying to stop the movement of Jesus. And on that Damascus road, he meets Jesus. Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he has a transformational moment in his life. I like to think that it went something like this. Just follow me, okay? You all know that my mind's a little twisted when it comes to this stuff. I think outside the box sometimes. When I read scripture, especially historical narrative, I think... You know, Luke's given us the big points, but there's got to be some other stuff happening around, right? What's happening? And so I, you know, listen, this is not recorded in the Bible, so don't go tell people that the Bible says, all right? But it must have happened something like this. God the Father is in heaven, and Jesus is there on his right hand. And I feel like the Father calls Jesus over and says, hey, Jesus, son, We have a problem. The movement 
that was started in Jerusalem got spread to Judea, Judea and, and uh, Judea, sorry, Judea and Samaria. And that's great. But we have a problem. It's not moving beyond that. You know those disciples of yours? Yeah, yeah, you know, we picked them, I trained them, knuckleheads, but hey, they eventually got it. Well, yeah, they won't leave Jerusalem. You remember the mission, you know? How about, how about Peter? Yeah, Peter, man. I mean, I like Peter. Jesus is like, yeah, Peter, Peter. And God's like, yeah, I like Peter too. I love Peter. But Peter doesn't want to hang out with non-Jews. How can we go into all the world if Peter has a problem with, non, with Gentiles? Okay. He goes, and now what about James? And Jesus is like, you mean my brother? My physical brother, James? Yeah, you know, James doesn't want to leave Jerusalem. And maybe that was good because James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And that was a good place for him and the church continued to grow. But what about the rest of the world? How is it going to get out? How is the word going to happen? How is the mission of God going to be accomplished? You remember the mission that you gave them? Jerusalem has to move out from there to Judea and then all the way out. And so I think, and this is how I think it happened probably didn't but this is how i think it happened i think the father leans over to jesus and says you know i think we need to bring someone else into the organization i think we need someone else somebody who can get things done somebody who is a risk taker somebody that's courageous because you know to go into all the world with this message they're going to face persecution they're going to face beatings they're going to face imprisonment we need somebody that's a risk taker and courageous we need somebody that can travel we need somebody that's going to get on a boat and walk miles and miles with the gospel we need somebody who's well educated well educated why do they have to be because they're going to go into a culture that's not theirs And I just feel like they need to understand, they need to kind of be world thinkers. We need this person. I think we need somebody that's laser focused and on a cause, and they won't go right or left. They're just going to be focused with all they have. We need someone who won't take no for an answer. (laughs) Because this is going to be a hard mission. We need a mover and a shaker, because after all, the Father says to Jesus, This is a movement that needs to move out. And then I think God just kind of leans over. There's heaven. There's earth. And he points and he says, I want that guy. And Jesus looks over and he goes, Saul of Tarsus? Are you kidding me? Seriously? You do know that this guy's trying to end the movement. His father says, yeah. You do realize that he's persecuting. He was standing there when Stephen, and Stephen comes up and he says, hey guys, what's going on? I doubt if we're that nonchalant around God, but Stephen's in heaven now, right? Oh yeah, there's Paul. He's the guy who nodded for my stoning. I forgive him though. And Jesus is like, seriously, Saul of Tarsus? Couldn't you think of anyone else? Don't you know he's single-handedly trying to undo everything we've worked hard to do? And God says, I know he's perfect. Let's recruit him. And this is what Jesus does 
even today. He calls the least of us, the most sinful of us. He calls the unimaginable. He takes a life that is far from God and he turns it around. He takes a life that's working their whole decision-making life against the kingdom of God. They are anti-Christ in the way they treat others, and the way that they think about God and think about people. They're, they just don't fit the bill. And God takes those kinds of people and he turns them around. Like you and me. God transforms them. He saves them. He renews them. He gives them a higher purpose. He transfers that life that we once lived into a new life of kingdom living. That's what God did for Paul. And that's what God wants to do for us. So Paul has this experience on the Damascus Road. He connects up with the Jesus community that's already existed. And he begins to be trained and taught and comes up through the Christian church, until we lose kind of track of Paul. We think it's about 12 years later. Paul then becomes a missionary for the gospel. The man, maybe this is why he changed his name from Saul to Paul. The man who is killing Christians, fighting Christianity, trying to stop the kingdom of God through Jesus on earth, is now about to become its greatest advocate, its greatest ambassador. We cannot explain away the Apostle Paul. It's impossible to try to explain him away. His work, his influence in the world. He is a major player in the story of Acts. He is a major character in the history of Christianity. The church has expanded to all the world and is continuing to expand to the rest of the world because of Paul and what he did 2,000 years ago. His letters were documented and began to pass around from church to church before 25 years after the crucifixion. That is almost 25 years before the Gospels were even written. The Apostle Paul and his letters were being read in churches before the Gospels were even thought about being written. Today, the majority of the New Testament was written by Paul. He is a huge player. And I want to look at his life today because he took three very important missionary journeys. And some of you are like, three, really? Over a 30-year period, only three? That's like one every ten years? You know how hard it was to travel in that day? When they took a journey, it wasn't like a weekend trip for us. It was a year or two or three or four. He took three very important missionary journeys around the Greek world, the Mediterranean world, in 30 years of ministry. And in Paul's wake, behind Paul as he went, were churches and people's lives who had come to Jesus and were transformed. So Paul did this over three minutes. So now I'm going to fast forward 
to the end of Paul's ministry. Paul has taken three trips, missionary trips, planted dozens and dozens of churches, affected the whole world that which he lived in, brought, uh, had a huge role in bringing the Gentiles into the church and the relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews. And now Paul is in his 60s. He's just finished his third missionary trip. He has spent his whole life his time, his talents, his treasure, expanding the kingdom of God, and now he goes back to where it all began, Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 21, you can read there. I encourage you to read the book of Acts. I'm going to skip through a lot and get to the 28th chapter, but in Acts chapter 21, Paul returns. A lot of things happen to him there in Jerusalem. Leave it to Paul. He doesn't go anywhere and not share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he starts sharing the gospel and he's arrested. You would think after all this time he could go back to Jerusalem, but he can't. And so he's arrested for the last time in his life. There are several trials. There are testimonies about Jesus in front of governors and kings. And Paul makes this appeal to those there in Jerusalem, I would like my case to be heard before Caesar himself. In Acts chapter 25, you can read about that. Paul is now sent to Rome. He's given a guard to watch over him. He's put in chains and he's shipped off to Rome. And you're thinking to yourself, what is a Jew from Jerusalem getting sent to Rome, which is the center of the whole universe in that day, the seat of all power, Because Paul was also a Roman citizen. A lot of people don't know that. It gave him a dual citizenship. So he was able to be with the Jews, and God knew what he was doing when he picked Paul for this. In Rome, Paul is placed under house arrest for two years. He is awaiting his trial where he... We know from history, it doesn't tell us in Acts, but we know from, from history, Paul spent two years in Rome under house arrest until he eventually was tried and beheaded. Because he was a criminal? No. Because he was a terrible person? No. Because he simply wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. And that's where I'm at, Acts chapter 28. Luke says this in these three verses. Therefore, I want you to know, this is Paul talking. It's a little history here. He goes to Jerusalem. He meets up with some other Jewish people in Jerusalem. And he tries to witness to them about Jesus. A lot of them reject him. Some of them believe. But after he tells the story about Jesus and the life of Jesus, this is what Paul says at the end of the book of Acts. Therefore, I, Paul, want you, Jewish people in Rome, to know that God's salvation, big deal for the Jews. They thought only God's salvation would come to the Jews because we're God's chosen people. Paul says, no, God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. Now look what he says, and they will listen. (laughs) They're going to listen because they're lost. And they're without God's, a God. They, They are lost. They're going to listen to this. This is hope. This is good news. They're going to listen. You won't listen, but they're going to listen. Next verse. 
For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. I wonder if it was nice. I don't know. And welcomed all who came to see him. Now look, next verse. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts begins with Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God and the book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God. The very first verses of Acts are Jesus himself proclaiming the kingdom of God. And somehow, through all of this, 30 years later, the book of Acts ends with Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God. The book of Acts ends and Paul's life is about to end, but the mission of God, listen to this, the mission of God and the advancement of the kingdom continued. Even after Jesus went back to heaven, his followers began to teach and talk about the kingdom of God. Even after Paul eventually has died, the kingdom continues to move forward today. Their story... Paul's story intersects with our story. This is the story of God and those who believe and those who trust in Jesus. We who have had our own Damascus Road experience, that moment we were rescued, that moment we were reconciled, that moment we were renewed, that moment we were lost and then found, that moment that we were saved, that moment that our eyes opened up and our hearts opened up to Jesus and what God could do in us, that moment is when our life intersected with the story of Paul and all of Christianity. We are part of the next chapter, church. The kingdom of God is not finished. The work of God is not done. Jesus has not left our world. He's here. We are part of the next chapter. We have a vital role to play as God's kingdom continues to grow around the world. But how? How do we advance the kingdom? I want to get really practical with you. Four things that we can look at Paul's life and we can say, I can do that. I can do that. Four simple ways to advance the kingdom in our communities, in our world. The first one is this. Paul lived the gospel. And so should we. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Tony? What do you mean he lived it? The earliest believers who Paul discipled didn't have the tools that we have. They didn't have online Bible studies. They didn't have, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have churches. They didn't have great buildings that they could gather in. They didn't have the experiences that we have, church. And yet they somehow grew. They didn't have the coolest kids ministry or teen ministry or cool pastors who wear skinny jeans. I'll never do that, I promise. They weren't the coolest thing in town. 
People were not attracted to them because they had something going on at the church. The kingdom of God moved forward because they lived the gospel. They simply lived as examples of what a redeemed person looks like who has put themselves under the rule of King Jesus. Their lives changed. In the history books, we go back and read some of the earliest historians who weren't even Christians. They talked about Christians and the amazing way that they loved one another and how they were kind and gentle and they were different than everyone else. They weren't self-centered and they were thinking about other people and they just lived it. They understood Jesus and they lived and tried to live like him. They lived incarnationally. And I don't mean the breakfast drink. It's not even incarnationally, but it sounded like it, right? Carnation, instant breakfast. They lived incarnationally. They lived amongst their family, their friends, their co-workers, their community. They incarnated the gospel. You say, okay, now you're getting out. Whoa, they incarnated the gospel. What do you mean by that? It simply means this. They lived amongst the people. And their actions and their words and their attitudes about everything reflected the heart and mind and soul and spirit of Jesus himself. They could disagree politically and yet still love one another deeply. We proclaim the good news. I'm proclaiming the good news today. But we also have to practice it. Jesus' greatest command is that we love God and that we also love one another. Jesus himself said, I tell you this, they will know that you're my disciples. Not because you go to church, not because you carry a Bible or go to a Bible study or a prayer meeting. Those are all great things, but they're not going to follow you because of that. They're going to follow you because of your love for one another. How are you living the gospel today? Someone once said, I don't know anyone who has been argued into the kingdom, but I know a lot of people who've been loved into it. That's the first thing. Jesus, Paul, lived the gospel, and so should we. Next, Paul connected with people. He connected with people. Steve Addison has this quote, and I want to quote it too. He wrote a book called What Jesus Started, and he said this, Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. He walked from village to village looking for people. On the road, in the, in the marketplace, in the synagogues, in private homes, in public places, by the lake, in the temple. And at a wedding feast and a funeral and a banquet with sinners. And he had a meal with Pharisees. Whatever the pe- wherever the people were, Jesus went. The good shepherd 
was looking for lost sheep. Wherever people are, Jesus went. And Paul was no different. He went everywhere, man. We might not be called to leave our homes, our towns, our states, or our country to share the gospel. But listen to me, church. We are all sent as disciples of Jesus. Jesus sends us into our workplaces, our schools, our communities, our boards, our clubs, whatever it is that we're doing, we are sent to connect with people, to be friends with people, to listen to people. As we go throughout our days, our paths will cross with strangers, people who are hurting, people in need, people who God prompts us to just say something or reach out and help. But we also will cross paths with those in our relational spheres. Our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, club members. People who we see every day in our community. You say, I don't, I don't know. I just thought we just had to go to church and carry a Bible and tell people that they're sinners. And You want to know how you can live missionally? Here's six just simple ideas for you. Get your pen out. Write these down. One of these is going to strike you and you're going, I can do that. The first one's this. Just how about eat with non-Christians? This is practical stuff. Make a habit of not eating alone. Invite a coworker to lunch. Invite a neighbor over for dinner. Reach out. Open yourself up. Number two, be a regular. You say, what do you mean be a regular? I didn't say be regular. I said be a regular, all right? Some of you got that anyway. Instead of just hopping all over town and going to a different gas station or a different grocery store, getting your hair cut somewhere else, sorry, Josh, eating out or just coffee, you know, how about you pick places around town that just become your regular spot to go? And here's another thing. Don't go at different times. Go at the same time every week or month that you go. Say, well, why would I do that? Because then you'll get to know the people that work there. I was listening to a story one time. This one guy, every day he would go to the bank to drop off a deposit. And every day he, the same girl was there. And he started talking to her. And he found out she liked Diet Coke. And so one day he started grabbing a can of cold Diet Coke. And every day he'd come in and he'd say, hey, Susie, how are you doing today? Hey, Mr. So-and-so, how are you doing? And he would sit that Coke and he says, I brought you some. And they build a relationship. How about this? Hobby with Christians. Create intentionality. Join a city league, sports league. Share a hobby with the teaching lessons. You know, uh, don't just, don't necessarily try to create a new Christian version of something that's going on. Listen to me, church. Don't just try to create a Christian version of it. We've got to get out of this Christian subculture and into our culture. Join what's already happening. Teach sewing. Teach piano. Teach guitar. Teach knitting. Teach tennis. Play tennis. Be prayerful, intentional, winsome. And let's look. Have fun with people. They will begin to see Jesus in you. 
volunteer for -for not-for-profit, find a good cause already in town, volunteer one Saturday a month, grab a couple of your friends from church and just go do something together to help someone. Participate in city events. Instead of staying home, us introverts like to do that, or just going to religious events, go to fundraisers, festivals, cleanups, summer shows. Concerts in your community. Mingle with people and build relationships. Reflect on what you hear. Pray for your city. Or how about just simply serve a neighbor? Mow their yard. Build a pro- help them with a building project. Uh, clean up the leaves. Fix their car. Watch their pet while they're gone. That depends on the pet, right? Listen, being missional is not just an event, but it is our way of life. Jesus said, as you're going, make disciples. As you are going, as you're doing life, as you're doing the everyday things that you do, have in mind there are people that I'm going to come in contact with today that are lost and hurting and in need. Ask yourself this question every day. Who am I inspiring to follow Jesus? Who in my life am I inspiring to follow Jesus? Jesus. So Paul lived the gospel. Paul connected with people. But Paul also, listen, shared his story. I know this is the most, the scariest one, right? The book of Acts is full of disciples being witnessed and engaging in meaningful, listen, meaningful conversations with other people about faith, about God, about Jesus. I know this is the scariest part for us, but listen, in love and compassion, we can share our story and the story of Jesus with others. We cannot do this in a meaningful way without the Holy Spirit empowering us. The Spirit of God wants to give you the power to not just talk about something you don't know, but to help you talk about your story. It's your story. It's your intersection with the Jesus movement. It's how Jesus saved you, where I was and where I'm at now, how much further I still got to go. It's your story. How many of us spend time writing down and thinking about my story? That's what Jesus wants you to have a meaningful conversation with people in your life. And you know, people really want to hear a good story. And some of you all stories are really boring and some of you all stories are really funny and exciting and you need to write a book about it, right? I'm kidding. Everybody's story is exciting. Maybe not to all. No, I'm serious. It's, it's an exciting story. We do not need to be just preachers or theologians or Bible scholars to talk about Jesus. We simply need to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. And I'm not just talking about giving people platitudes and just, well, the Bible says. And it's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. But how does it apply to you? Well, the Bible says, and I just believe it. Well, but what has that done in your life? What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? Well, the Bible says he's Lord. That means he's just in charge. Well, what does that mean for you? Well, you know, 
I was really struggling one time with giving. And I was just like out of control and spending everything on me. And I read this one day that Jesus needs to be Lord of everything. And I had to give him my wallet. And that was really painful. But let me tell you something. The joy and the happiness of being able to give and the freedom of feeling like my, my money doesn't own me, but I own it. And this is what Jesus did for me. When I gave him lordship and I began to, you see what I'm saying? Don't just repeat the Bible to people, but talk about how it's changing you. Talk about your life and how it's intersected. Well, it's changed my life. Well, how? I don't know. It's just changed my life. That ain't going to win anybody. Listen, people today want to know and they want to see they're watching you. Christian, listen, they're watching you. And they want to know that it's made a real, practical, real-life change. And that's what Paul shared. Paul says, I was killing Christians trying to end the Jesus movement. And Jesus changed me to the point that I gave my whole life. Well, how did you give your whole life? I got on a boat and I went all the way across the world and I began to plant churches. Oh, that sounds like a dude that's pretty committed. What have you committed to that Jesus has called you to? You see what I mean? People want to see it. They don't just want to hear it. They want to see the change. So we need to be able to share our story. And last, Paul did this. Paul lived out the mission. He lived it. He just didn't say it. He lived it. No matter where Paul was and what was going on through Paul, Paul was always seeking ways to be an ambassador for Jesus. We see it at the end of our chapter. He's arrested and under house arrest in Rome, and he continues to preach the gospel. How could he do that? Haven't you done enough, Paul? I think, church, we need to have a mindset. One more. One more. One more lost person. One more son that's lost. One more daughter that's hurting. One more. One more grandchild. One more friend. One more coworker. One more. We keep going and going and going. Why? Because there's one more person that needs to hear the good news. That was Paul's life. He lived out that mission of one more person even at the close of acts we're called to live our ordinary normal lives but to do some so with mission in mind we're called to simply go about our usual lives but as we go the holy spirit leads us in missional moments to share with one more person How did God lead some to be missional? Watch this video. When I started the church, um, I was being assessed for church planning, and the people that were assessing me kept asking me, like, what, 
church are you going to model the Austin Stone after? I was asked to write an article about the missional church, and to be honest, I actually had never even really heard the term. Just kept telling them, look, I really want to move to Austin. I want to discover what the culture is, and I want to read the Bible. I grew up um, in, a, in a home where church was consistent. We were all about missions, but missions was uh, an offering that we took up. We, a lot of times, as American Christians, church is something that we do. New Testament believers, church is who they were. When the church doesn't expect normal, everyday Christians to be on mission in the everyday life, then I think we've misunderstood the very nature of what it means to be God's people. The more I read about it and the more I spoke to people about it, I found myself really captivated by this idea. This just basic idea that every single Christian is called to be a missionary in whatever context God has placed them. I remember my dad around when I was in high school just really saying, we're going to live on mission. We're going to live that out. And I got to watch that with him. My dad was a construction worker. There's a, a school here in town um, that, that is a more under-resourced neighborhood, more impoverished neighborhood. So we called out to the church and said, hey, let's go be intentional about living on mission in this high school. My dad's getting up at 1, 2 a.m. talking to these guys, shepherding them, if you will. And my dad's, you know, just an everyday, normal Christian. We had uh, folks that were teachers in more affluent schools in other parts of the town leave their jobs, move into the neighborhood, and go be teachers in this school. There'd be a need, we'd bring it to the dinner table, and my dad would say, so should we, one of us give up our bedroom, one of you boys want to give up your room for a season because someone needs a place to live. Hundreds of volunteers came into the school, started mentorship programs, and within one year, we uh, saw them pass the standardized test scores in the state of Texas didn't shut it down. A kid who is not doing well with his family or somebody just got out of prison and needs a place to land to help get started again. Kind of modeling Jesus. I mean, he, he lived incarnation. He came to us. He put on our skin. He lived in our neighborhood. And so I think that's what we've tried to model is, hey, we're not going to come in from the, from outside and tell you what you need to do, but we want to come and live with you and suffer with you and, and be on the ground with you. You ever wonder if Paul questioned if all he ever did made a difference? He didn't get to see what we see. Paul spent much of his time, and I'm in the dark, Paul spent much of his time in prisons, on the road, traveling around, You ever wonder if Paul stopped and said, did I give my whole life to something that just couldn't overcome Rome? It just couldn't overcome paganism. It just couldn't overcome people's lives. They came for Paul one day there in his home that he was renting there in Rome. We know that they probably would have walked him down the Roman Forum. And as they walked Paul down the Roman Forum outside the city where they were going to behead him, Paul would have looked around and seen some of the great monuments and temples, the monuments built to Caesars and kings and the temples built to other gods. And it just would have been a plethora of symbols to an ungodly kingdom. Imagine, as they walked Paul, if you could go back in time and just simply... Knowing what you know now, whisper in his ear, Hey Paul, hey Paul, it's working. It worked, man. You're about to go give your head for something that was so important. It's happening. With your help, Paul, the kingdom is happening, it's growing everywhere. 
Imagine this. One day in that city, Paul, you see all these monuments? One day this city is going to be adorned not with symbols and reminders of an ungodly kingdom, but there will be symbols and reminders of Christianity. One day, Paul, see that big area over there? Nero's, it's Nero's, they call it Nero's Circus, where he killed so many Christians. An ungodly man. One day, on that very spot, they're going to build a church. The Basilica of, wait a minute, Peter? Peter gets a church named after him, right? A day is coming when the whole world will come to Rome not to visit the tombs of emperors but to see the place where you were imprisoned and Peter died and was buried. Paul, a day is coming that there will be no Roman Empire but the whole world will be full of little churches and big churches and medium-sized churches and there will be two billion people who say they're Christian everywhere. Paul, in these little churches, ecclesias, they're going to sing songs to Jesus. They're going to pray prayers to Jesus. And you know what else? They're going to read your letters. Paul, your letters are going to be translated into over 1,200 languages. Paul, some Tay people are going to name their sons Peter and Paul, and they're going to name their dogs Nero and Caesar. Impossible. Unimaginable. Yes. But this is what happened because one man dared to be on mission. Jesus predicted it. Jesus promised it. God fulfilled it. Imagine how the world has changed before the, for the better because of Paul and a handful of disciples who dared to believe, who dared to trust, who dared to go out and tell people about Jesus. Imagine all that has changed in the world because they dared to live out the gospel, to connect with people, to share their story, and to be on mission. Imagine how your world might change if you would just join the mission. God's kingdom is unstoppable. It's expanding all over the world. And you and I can impact our world today to make a change for the better if we'll answer the call, join the mission, and be the unstoppable church. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning I challenge all of us, as you have challenged me and Paul and every disciple before to make disciples, to love people, to go and to live out this change that you have made in all of our hearts. My prayer today, Lord, is that those in this building who are Christian, 
who follow you would realize that the church is moving. The church is moving out. The church has been shaken. The church has been filtered. The church is being moved from where we are to where we need to be. May we seek every day to inspire every generation to follow Jesus. May we ask ourselves every day, who am I inspiring to follow Jesus? Holy Spirit, speak to us now and give us the faith that we need. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me as we close and sing a song?